want to read you a verse, and this is where we get our, the name of our church. This is from 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, this is, this is where we got the name of our church um, because we want to be a church that reaches out to people who are far from God, help them connect with God and with other people. Today, this, the title of the sermon, I told you that November 28th is when God gave me this, the title of this sermon, is, and it is how new life ceases to exist. And it has a double meaning when I say new life. First of all, you have new life if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But you can be like the prodigal son and you can turn your back and you can walk away from the father and you will not experience the blessings of new life. You will experience the trappings, the, the bondage of the old life. But it also means as a church, new life community church, if we choose to do certain things, we can cease to exist as a church. Starts with individuals and, and it goes to the, the broader church. Now, if there's a pattern in scripture, and this is what I'm going to talk to you about today, that the Israelites followed, started with individuals, but then it it, it, it spread to the whole nation. And, and on November 28th, I was finishing my study of Second uh, Chronicles, um, and, and, and I saw the fall of the Israelite nation. And we're going to talk about that. Now, it all started with individuals walking away from God, and then it, it was like a disease that infected the entire nation. And it ended with first the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom being destroyed. And there was no nation of Israel anymore. And, and when we talk about this, if we follow the same pattern, our church will, will cease to exist. And it all starts with your ideas about God's word. And so let me read you a couple of things. When, people, when God's people get away from loving, reading, and obeying the word of God, they lose the blessing of God. And here it is. If you want to be a fruitful tree, then you must delight in God's word. Here it is. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. We're going to come back to these over and over. Happy or joy-filled or blessed are those who reject the advice of evil people. Another translation says wicked people. So happy, joyful, blessed are those who reject the advice of wicked, evil people who do not follow the example of sinners or who join those who have no use for God. Instead, they find joy in obeying the law of the Lord and they study it day and night. Now, the people who, who, are, who reject the advice of evil people who follow the example, who do not follow the example of sinners and, and, or join those who have no use for God and they study God's word and they obey it. They are like trees that grow beside a stream that bear fruit at the right time and whose, whose leaves do not dry up, they succeed in everything they do. So this is, Psalm chapter one is a, is a comparison of the righteous versus the wicked. Now for our uh, purposes today, we're gonna talk about the man with new life. We're gonna call that a righteous person, the, one, the man or woman with new life. Now the person with new life does not behave like, listen to, or associate with the wicked, evil people of the world. Let me say that again, even though you're reading it. The person with new life, the righteous person does not behave like, listen to, or associate with the wicked man. That's from Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. The person with new life does something though. They do obey, obey and study God's word. And the result is when you reject those other three things, and then when you obey and study God's word, then you will, God will watch over your success and bless you. And when I was studying this, I thought, man, that sounds a whole lot like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 33, when he said this, seek the kingdom of God, not the opinions of men, not popularity, not what the world says, seek the kingdom of God above all else 
and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. How do you live righteously? You go back to Psalm chapter one. You reject the advice of the wicked. You don't follow people like that. You don't associate with the wicked and then you study God's word and you obey it. If you read the rest of Psalm one, you'll see the, the third, uh, fourth verses four through six talks about the wicked man and the wicked man is like, you know, those little, what is it? A dandelion? What is a little thing? You blow it and it just kind of goes away. God says, that's what the wicked man is like. He says, I will blow them, they will go away. But if you're a righteous man, if you obey and study the word of God, you will be like a tree planted by a stream and you will have everything you need come hell or high water. Now, on November 28th, I was studying and, and, and I thought, you know, we have a choice between new life and old life. And that seems like a no brainer, but I'm amazed at how many people choose over and over to go back to their old life, the bondage of old life. And so I was sitting in my recliner because that's where I always sit. If you've ever been in my house, it is my chair and I will, I will fight people for my chair. And I don't know why, I, maybe it's because as a kid, I was the youngest of four and I didn't ever get this. I had, I sat where I was told, I don't know, but I have my own chair. My kids know this. If I get up and I want to, they know, get out of my chair. If you date one of my daughters, I will fight you for the chair, right? Okay. So I was sitting in my chair and I was finishing up my study in second Kings and second Chronicles. Now I've been using this study, this, um, this commentary called the B series by Warren Wearsby. And the reason it's called the B series is because for each book of the Bible that he does a commentary on, he has a B statement. For example, um, Exodus be delivered, finding freedom. And then he has a little subtitle, finding freedom by following God. Um, Leviticus be holy, become set apart for God. Numbers be counted. I thought this was cute. Living a life that counts for God. It's, it's the book of numbers. What are you going to do with numbers? You're going to, you're going to count. So second Chronicles and second Kings, because there's so much overlap in these two, it's talking about the same time period. He put it in one and here's what it says. Be distinct. Be distinct means be separated, be different from what? From evil people, from wicked people. So go back to Psalm chapter one. Don't do those things. You are supposed to be separate. You're supposed to be distinct. And then the subtitle is standing firm, firm against the uh, world's tides. Now God's message to the Israelites from the time he brought them out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt. He brought them out through the Exodus was be different, be distinct. Don't you be like the other people, the wicked people from other nations. And what eventually causes the nation of Israel to be destroyed is their desire to be exactly like other people. And God, some of the worst words in scriptures, when God gives you what you want, they wanted to be like them. God let them be like them. They, they thumbed their noses at God and it cost them their freedom. It cost them their new land. It cost them their new life. They exchanged the freedom of new life for the bondage of the old life. Now, let me give you just a quick history lesson. Sometime between 1406 BC and 1260 BC, Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. And just going to show you this. So these, these different names, Judah, Simeon, Reuben, Gad, Ephraim, Benjamin, these are the, the sons of Jacob who later had his name changed to Israel. So that's where you get the name of the nation of Israel. And he had all these sons. One of them was removed. And then, then uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were Joseph's sons. And so anyway, there's 12 of them that make up the nation of Israel. And when they come into the promised land, they came across the Jordan River. There were some that said, hey, man, we like the land on this side of the river. Ask God if he'll let us have that, that land. So he did. And then here's where the rest of the nation was. Now, uh, it went along pretty well for a while, for a couple of hundred years. And then um, somewhere around 930 BC, the nation split into two kingdoms. Go ahead and put that one up there if you would, Travis. So you got the northern kingdom up here called Israel. You got the southern kingdom down here called Judah. Now here's what happened. Um, 
there were three, the, the nation said, we want to have a king like other nations. So the first king was Saul, bad king. Second, um, second king of Israel was David. He was the best king, and he was the one against which every other king of Israel was measured. And then his son Solomon becomes king. Solomon starts out great, ends up horrible, and that's the, you don't want to start a race well and finish terribly. Um, he made some terrible decisions, and because of his terrible decisions, when he died, the, the northern tribes, the ten tribes up here called Israel, they refused to follow his son, and so they split into two kingdoms, and they had they started their own king. So there were 19 kings of the, of the northern kingdom called Israel. And the Bible says all of them were evil. Not a single king of Israel was good. And then if you look down here, Judah, Judah and Benjamin, Judah was the bigger tribe. And so it just became called Judah. This was the southern uh, kingdom. Tw uh, 20 rulers, 19 kings, one queen. She was horrible. But anyway, um, of those 20 rulers of the southern kingdom, 12 were evil and eight were considered good. The Bible calls them good in the eyes of God. And so what happens is the northern kingdom falls in 722 BC. They are destroyed by the Assyrians. And then 135 years later, it actually started sooner than that, but, but in 587 BC, the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians and they're carried away into exile. And that's when, that's when uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were carried off from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. All right, now why... Did God allow them to be destroyed? I'm going to read that to you. This is in 2 Chronicles 36, 15 through 21. The Lord, the God of, the, of their ancestors, so this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob later gets his name changed to Israel. That's where we get the name. So he says, the, word, the, the Lord God of those men, here's what he did. He sent word to them through his messengers once, read that, again and again. Over and over and over, he sent word. What did he say? Uh, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. God chose the Israelites not because they were the best nation, just because he loved them. It wasn't because they were the biggest, the strongest. It's, the Bible says he loved them and chose them to be his people. And then he put his name on Jerusalem, the city, and then he put his temple in Jerusalem. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the glory of the Lord shone in such a way that the, the priests could not even minister. God stamped his name on the city, on the temple, on these people. And he said, the only reason I sent uh, word over and over again is because I loved you and I loved the place where I put my name. Verse 16, but they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. That's the exact opposite of what the righteous man does in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The exact opposite. They mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. And then this made me sick to my stomach when I read these words. And there was no remedy Worst words in scripture, in the New Testament's in Romans chapter one, when it said, God gave them up. Worst four words in the Bible, my, my seminary professor used to say, because when God gives you what you want instead of what you need, when you say, no, God, I don't want your stuff. I can do better. And God says, have at it. Worst words in scripture. Here is what happened. They thumbed their nose at God so long that God says, my fury is gonna burn over against you and there will be no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or, elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried them, he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried them to Babylon, carried all the Babel, uh, <laughs> to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces, destroying everything of value there. He carried 
carried into exile, into Babylon, the, the remnant that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, among others, who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Now, here's another reason. It's, it's disobeying the word of the Lord, but here's another reason they were destroyed. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. When they established the land where I showed you all the 12 tribes, God said, you may, you may plant crops for six years, but in the seventh year, it is a Sabbath year. You will plant no crops. You will trust me to give you enough crops in the sixth year to last you through the seventh year, to last you until the eighth year crops produce. For 500 years, the Israelites had said, nope, God, we're not going to follow that. And so look what it says. The, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All its time of desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed. So 70 Sabbath years, they had disobeyed God. And God said, my land will have its rest in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So here's some lessons that I that day from the fall of Judah. Number one, no nation rises any higher than its worship of God. And I want you to put a capital G there because this is the one and only true God. The nation of Israel was torn in two because of the sins of Solomon who married all of these women and then he started building temples to their pagan gods. Now he was disobeying God by having more than one wife. God said one man, one woman for a lifetime. He had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. He disobeyed God. And God had said, don't, have, don't marry from other nations because they'll drag you into their worship of their pagan gods. It's exactly what happened to Solomon. It eventually cost the whole kingdom to be ripped in two. And the northern kingdom, evil kings, they were destroyed first. You would think that the southern kingdom would go, oh, let's not be like our northern neighbors. But 135 years later, they did the same thing. They despised God's word. They worshiped foreign gods. And God turned his back on them. Second lesson I learned from the fall of Judah. We become like the God. I want you to put a lowercase g there. Um, we worship. This is an idol. If you worship anything other than the one true God from heaven who created the heavens and the earth, who was the word in the beginning, who was with God and is God, who created all things and became flesh and made his dwelling among us, if you worship any other God than that, you will become like that God. Now, if you want to go back and put a capital G above that because you're worshiping the one true God, you will become like him too. You become like whoever you worship. And, and in, the, uh, in Psalm 115, the, the writer is saying this. He, he's making fun of these idols that people are making. They created their own images and then they would bow down to them. And he said, these idols that you make, whether it's out of stone or whether it's out of wood, they have eyes that can't see because you created them. They have mouths but can't speak because you're just drawing them out or you're carving them out on there. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They can do nothing. And then he says this in verse 8, 115.8. And those who make idols are just like them. They're just like the idols that they create as are all who trust in them. If we refuse to worship the one true God, we will become like whatever it is we worship. You'll become like a money-grabbing jerk if you worship money. If you worship career, you'll become like whatever it takes to get out on top in your career. If you worship sports, you'll become this athlete who, who eventually time runs out on athletes, right? You'll become like whatever God you create. Even after the discipline of God, this, this amazes me, the people in bondage to the old life still didn't understand why it happened. So here's what happens. So the, the Babylonians come and they destroy Judah, the southern kingdom. 
They carry off all of their nobles, all the, all of the brightest and best. They took them to Babylon. They left only the poorest people behind. Well, some of these poor people in Jeremiah chapter, uh, starting in chapter 40, they make some really bad decisions. They kill the king appointed by the king of Babylon. What do you think that's going to do to the king of Babylon who controls everything? Is it going to make him happy or sad that you kill the king he appointed? So they kill him. Then they kill all these other people. And then they come to Jeremiah and they say, would you pray to God for us and ask God if we should stay here or should we run to Egypt? So Jeremiah says, sure, I'll pray for you. Jeremiah prays. And the Bible says that 10 days later, now this is interesting to me, 10 days later, God sent word to Jeremiah. Here's what he was saying to them. For 10 days, I have protected you in this land. No one came after you. And then he gives them this answer. He says, stay in the land of Judah. The king of Babylon will not harm you. He says, whatever you do, do not go to Egypt because you will die in Egypt. You see this coming. Where did they go? Egypt. Now, now, much later in Egypt, they made Jeremiah go with them. They took him as a captive and, and took him to Egypt. And so in Jeremiah chapter 44, here's what we find out. Jeremiah has a new word of the Lord for these people who have been disobedient. All the time they were a nation, now they're disobedient after they're not a nation. Here's what he says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. You saw the calamity I brought on Jerusalem and all the towns of Judah. They now lie deserted and in ruins. They provoked my anger with all their wickedness. They burned incense, worshiped other gods. There's lowercase g gods that neither they nor any of your ancestors had ever known about you're making up new gods he said verse four again and again there's it i sent my servants the prophets to plead with them don't do these horrible things that i hate so much but my people would not listen or turn back from their wicked ways and according to psalm 1 1 through 3 the righteous man turns his back on the wicked people but the Verses four through six says the wicked man does all those things and he's destroyed by the Lord. Here's what they did. They kept on burning incense to these gods. And so my fury boiled over and fell like fire on the towns of Judah and into the streets of Jerusalem. And they are still desolate ruined today. And now the Lord God of heaven's army, the God of Israel asks you, why are you destroying yourselves? And I think he wants me to ask you, why are you destroying yourselves? By worshiping anything other than the God who spoke the world into existence. If you've got anything else at priority one, that is an idol. And the question for you is why are you destroying yourself for something that does not last? For not one of you. <laughs> All right, you're going to keep that up there? Here's the message God gave them. Not one of you will survive. Not a man, woman, or child among you who has come here from Judah. Not even the babies in your arms. Why provoke my anger by burning incense to the idols you have made here in Egypt? You will only destroy yourselves and make yourselves an object of cursing and mockery for all the nations of the earth. Have you forgotten the sins of your ancestors, the sins of the kings and queens of Judah, and the sins of your you and your wives committed in Judah and Jerusalem? To this very hour, you've shown no remorse or reverence. No one has chosen to follow my word and the decrees I gave you, and your ancestors before you. Third thing I learned from the fall of Judah, the people who led Israel and Judah astray were weak people who followed the crowd and pleased people. You, you want to you have God against you, then follow the crowd. I, I told you a couple weeks ago, I, I double dog dare you to find some place in the scripture where the majority was right. I'm, I'm still looking. I've been studying for a long time. After this message, Jeremiah said, here's why you're here. Look what they said. This, I'm telling you, I wanted to vomit by the time I finished. I'm, I'm not making this up. I sat there 
physically ill as I read this. When Janie came out, I, I always get up before Janie came out of her bedroom and I said, I'm messed up. And she goes, what's wrong? And I said, Judah. <laughs> She's going, okay. I said, they, anyway, here's what they do after this message. Then all the women present and all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to the idols, a great crowd. This was a lot of people of Judah who, who were living in northern Egypt and southern Egypt. They answered Jeremiah and said, we will not listen to your message from the Lord. We will do whatever we want. And there's the problem. So I was sitting there yesterday and, and I, was, um, I was studying and, and I, was, I stopped at this point and I texted my brother. My oldest brother was a pastor when he got out of seminary. So he said it was probably around 77 or 78, 1977, 78. So I would have been in seventh or eighth grade and I've not forgotten this story. So as I was reading this, I thought, oh man, that sounds like my brother's church. So I texted him and I said, I said hey, was that, a, was that a deacon's wife? And here's what he said. He said, she wasn't a deacon's wife. She was an adult Sunday school teacher at the church, 55 years old, but not a deacon's wife. Her husband came to church, but told me he did not read the Bible because he didn't get anything out of it. Here's what happened. My brother started preaching the word of God at this little bitty Baptist church. And this woman came up to him and said, you need to stop doing that. And my brother said, well, it's what the Bible says. Her quote, I don't care what the Bible says. This is the way we do it around here. I've, I was in eighth grade and I have not forgotten that story. I had forgotten this part. So here's what he says. The church only had two deacons. They were brothers in their fifties or sixties who had a fist fight many years before and didn't speak to each other or ever come to church at the same time. Does anyone else see a problem with this? Your Sunday school teacher says, I don't care what the Bible says. Your two deacons had a fist fight and they can't get along, can't even show up at the same time. The glory of God had departed that church long before. There's a, that's actually a term. It's called Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. New life had ceased to exist at that church because people were pleasing the crowd. Now, my brother said this too. He said there were a lot of good folks there that were normal. <laughs> I thought that was awesome but that didn't want to be a part of controversies. I would rather not make waves. I would rather, this is what they're saying, I would rather the glory of God depart from my church than God forbid I should confront a 55-year-old Sunday school teacher who says, I don't care what the Bible says. Will not happen in this church as long as I have breath. We will do whatever we want. Now, let me say this. If what I'm saying is my opinion, blow it off. But if what I am saying is from God, and the only way you're going to know is if you go back to Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and if you study and obey God's word day and night, you have to compare what I say to Scripture. If it's Scripture, you better listen. Because listen to what happens after this. They said, we will burn incense and pour out liquid offerings to the queen of heaven just as much as we like, just as we and our ancestors and our kings and officials have always done in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For in those days, we had plenty to eat. We were well off and had no troubles. But ever since we quit burning incense to the queen of heaven and stopped worshiping her with liquid offerings, we have been in great trouble and have been dying from war and famine. Besides, the women added, do you suppose that we were burning incense and pouring out liquid offerings to the queen of heaven and making cakes marked with her image without our husbands knowing it and helping us? Of course not as if that makes it okay verse 22 jeremiah says it was because the lord could no longer bear all the disgusting things you were doing that he made your land an object of cursing a desolate ruin without inhabitants as it is this day skip down to verse 26 
This should scare you if you're a follower of Christ. But listen to this message from the Lord, all you Judeans now living in Egypt, where I told you not to go. That's my little side note. I have sworn, this is God speaking. I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name will no longer be spoken by any of the Judeans in the land of Egypt. You're not, I'm not even gonna allow you to speak my name. None of you may invoke my name or use this oath because they use, they use this little oath. As surely as the sovereign Lord lives, he says, you will not use my name again. Verse 27, for I will watch over you to bring you disaster and not good. Nobody puts Jeremiah 44, 27 on their wall as a status. For I will watch over you to bring disaster and not good. We'll put Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm going to come to that in a minute. But we won't put this. Did y'all know that was in the same book of Jeremiah? Everyone from Judah who is now living in Egypt will suffer war and famine until all of you are dead. Only a small number will escape death and return to Judah from Egypt. Then all those, so he, he allows a small number to come back, I think, for this reason. Then all those who came to Egypt will find out whose words are true, mine are theirs. Whose words came true, God's or theirs? God's. And I think he let a, a small amount of people who were righteous, who did not follow the wicked, I think he let them come back to Jerusalem to say, the Lord, he is God. Now, here's some things we learn about God from this. Number one, God is always, has always been, is always seeking people who will be distinct, separated, not like wicked people, not like others, not compromise. Separation is total devotion to God. It's like this. On, on May 25th, 1991, I separated myself from all other women and I pledged myself to Janie. I said, I'm not going to, and not that there was any mourning or weeping, but I said, I'm not going to have any more <laughs> dating other than Janie. I separated myself from other women to her. That's what it means to be separated. It doesn't mean you hate the world. It doesn't mean I hate women. It means there is one woman. I separated myself to her. That's what it means to be separate, to be distinct. You, you follow God. The Bible tells us this. Look, look at what the half-brother of Jesus said, James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterers, and he's not talking about physical, sexual. He's, look what he says. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? An adulterer is one who says, oh, I worship you, God, and then goes out and worships something else, boldly, blatantly, in front of everyone else. He says that's spiritual adultery. And then he says, I'm going to say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God spiritual adultery. John, the one that Jesus loved, he called, that's what he called himself, the disciple Jesus loved. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world, loves, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Goes back to Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 you'll be like a tree planted by a stream if you study and obey the word of God if you avoid the advice of wicked people if you don't associate behave like act like listen to wicked people now I read all of those verses and then this is my this is my little journal and and so this is just kind of the way I've been doing things the last couple of years um I read whatever it is I read, and then I go through my commentary, I highlight, and then the things that stick out I write down in my journal, and then the next page I write, and here's, here's what I wrote to God that day. Lord, my heart is troubled. 
Reading about the end of Judah bothers me. You warned them repeatedly, but the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Oh God, help me to have a heart for you. Mold and shape my heart to look more and more like Jesus' heart. Help me to be more faithful each day that I have left on this earth because God was reminding me that our time is, is short. I prayed for my children. That's none of your business. And then I got down to this last thing. Here's, what, here's the last two sentences I wrote on, on in my prayer journal that day. Father, raise up the next generation of leaders for new life. Show us who they are and how to train them. And can I tell you something? They need to be people who are distinct. They need to be people who reject the advice of the wicked, who study and obey God's word day and night. Otherwise, new life can cease to exist. And I've poured 16 years of my blood, sweat, and tears into this church. And how sad it would be if when I die, the church dies. That is not how God intended it. So God, show us who the next leaders are. I think they're probably in this room. But you cannot compromise. Second thing we learn about God. God keeps all his promises. From the time we have written record of what God said to Moses... He said, if you obey, I will bless you. He said, if you disobey, oh, wow, there went Siri, just, just went off and beat, oh, bless you, is what she just wrote down. <laughs> Siri, you're stupid. <laughs> she, usually when I say that, she'll go, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's kind of scary. <clears throat> he said, if you obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, I will discipline you. He kept all of his promises. He told them, he, he wiped them off the face of the map, their nation. Now, he kept a remnant. He always kept a remnant because it was through um, Judah that the Messiah was coming, Emmanuel was coming. So he always had to keep a remnant, no matter what Satan tried to do. But here's the other thing. God has promised to bless whoever accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He has promised to separate all those who reject Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior forever in a place called hell. And, and God's not sending people to hell. You're choosing hell if you turn your back on God. He will keep his promises. He will save forever those who are his. He will banish forever those who reject his son. Third thing you learn about God. God disciplines us to help us, not to harm us. He disciplines us to help us, not to harm us. Discipline is different than punishment. Punishment is what we do in, in our criminal justice system, right? You get thrown in there. It's not a rehabilitation center, right? You're punished before, because of your discipline has to do with future actions. I will discipline you. So, so I used to tell my kids, and they hated this. I'd say, I'm going to give you a spanking. And if I ever told Rachel that, it was like two hours. She would, ah! you know, she was so sad. And I'm serious. It was, it was two hours. And I would go in, and I'd say, I'm going to give you a SWAT, not because I'm upset with you. I want to help you make a better choice in the future. I want you to, this spot's going to hurt enough that in the future, when you have to make a choice, you're going to, it's not worth it, right? That's what God is doing. Now, 
the whole reason God sent his people into exile was to discipline them and turn their hearts back to him. And here's where Jeremiah 29, 11 actually applies. Jeremiah is with this remnant and he writes um, the, the, this, at least this portion of Jeremiah, he writes and sends it in a letter to the captives in Babylon. And he says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, exiles in Babylon, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. I think we misuse this verse. Now, and I'm not saying you can't quote this verse to God and I can't, you know, somebody prayed this verse this week and it was appropriate to do that. But this was written to a group of exiles who were gonna be there for 70 years and God was encouraging them saying, hey, this is not the end. I've got something better for you. Pay attention. So this was written to exiles. God is telling them, yes, I'm disciplining you, but it's for your own good. At the end of discipline, you will return to the new life I planned for you. This promise is not for people who disobey Psalm 1 one through three. For the people who, who accept the advice of the wicked, who hang out with, act like wicked people, your verse is, if you've refused to repent, your verse is Jeremiah 44, 27, I have plans for your disaster. If you start to explain away the clear teaching of scripture and obeying God about separation of sin, it's a, it's a short trip out of the light into the shadows into the darkness, and, and if you do not repent, into Jeremiah 44, 7. So what is this new life? Let's go back and let's read it again, Travis. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Happy are those who reject the advice of evil people who do not follow the example of sinners or join those who have no use for God. Instead, they find joy in obeying the law of the Lord and study it day and night. They are like trees that grow beside a stream that bear fruit in the right time, whose leaves do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Even if you're in the midst of a horrible discipline of God because of your sinful choices, God has always been ready for you. He's waiting for you to humble yourself, confess your sins, and he will restore you. I didn't put this on there, but this verse came to me. 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light... So, so you can't go out there in the darkness. You have to come into the light through confession of sin. If we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. The reason we don't have fellowship so many times, we're not walking in the light. He says we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You want to be purified? Get your butt back in the light. And then you know 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm sitting there in my chair that day. I'm in utter despair over, I, I know the story. I've read the Bible. I think I've read the Bible cover to cover seven times. This will be my eighth time whenever, whenever I finish. This is, it's almost two years and I'm, I'm, I'm in Nehemiah. So it's taken me a while to study. But as I'm sitting there just in despair going, how can the people of God be so stupid. Here's what I read in 2 Chronicles 36, 22 through 23. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus, who was the king, to put his proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. This is what the king what King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of earth. He has appointed me to build a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go there for this task and may the Lord your God be with you. So remember that this was written 70 years before 
So the same words that, in, that, that finish 2 Chronicles are in Ezra. Ezra comes along 70 years later, and he uses the exact same words to begin the book of Ezra. You know what God's saying? I always keep my promises. I'll promise when you're in, in Babylon in exile, I have plans for you. But if you reject me repeatedly, you scoff at my messengers. You, you take the advice of wicked. You, you worship anything other than me. Then I have Jeremiah 44, 27 for you. Told you this was going to be a happy message today. When Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, right before he was going to die, he stood up to them and he said, you're not able to serve the Lord our God. And the people said, yes, we're able to serve the Lord our God. And he goes, no, 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 you're going to go back and you're going to serve idols. And they said, no, 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 we will worship the Lord our God only. And Josh, uh, Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As, as for me, as the pastor of this church, we will serve the Lord. And if there's two of you who come back next week, the three of us will serve the Lord together. But I think you're coming to the church because you want to hear the truth. <laughs> Years ago, I was, I was accused of watering down the message of God. And to my knowledge, I I've never done that. I've tried to always speak what God says. I don't think it was watered down today. So you got a choice to make. I hope I'll see you next week. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, you said in, in Proverbs that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the reason our nation is failing is because there is no fear of you. There is no wisdom that comes from heaven. And God, may we not look like the rest of the world. You've called us to be distinct, be different, to be set apart, to be holy as you are holy. And we're not taking that seriously. And it's why we're not like a tree planted by a stream. It's why our leaves are withering and falling. It's because we're not obeying your word and studying. May that stop today. And may there be a group of people who say, I will follow. I'm choosing today to follow God come hell or high water. Lord, those are the people that you love to bless. And I pray that you call a bunch of them. Whether they're here on the campus today or whether they're watching Online, God, we need more people who, who will not compromise. That's who you build your kingdom on. Raise them up, God. Raise them up. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.